Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Hey everyone, Heather Ashamara, as you know, and I'm so excited to introduce you to two of my favorite people that we have been in friendship community for many, many moons together. So I think what I'll do is just do a tiny introduction around both of you and then pass it on so that you can share your goodness with everyone. So we were blessed, we are still blessed to be part of a really incredible community that was based out of Davis, California, around the University of California at Davis. And we went to, you know, we were all, like, Jessica was, what I remember is I met Jessica first, and she was like the star that was older with the older kids. You know, that feeling of when, like, you're, like, 10 and you know an 18-year-old and how exciting it is to know the age. She wasn't that much older than me. But that, like, that starstruck, that was Jessica. So she was in the cool older kid camp. And I was in the young, cool, trying-to-be-hip kid camp (laughs) as we were growing up. And it's been so fun to, like, have that level out. Mm-hmm. and and to see how we've all grown together. Mm-hmm. So my first remembrance, I'm trying to think of when I, I just heard about Jessica. Like Jessica was this kind of mythic figure. And I don't remember where we met. It'll be fun to see if you remember where we met, Jessica. But I remember meeting Tom. So we lived at a place called Slater's Court, which was the slums. Let's be real. It was an old, um, it was the, the workers' cabins that worked in the rail yard. And literally the place was falling down. They were tiny. Um, I lived with my partner and we lived literally, and I'm not exaggerating, 10 feet from the railroad, from the train line, from the Amtrak. And the first time I remember being in bed and the train going by and like bolting out of bed because it like felt like it was coming through the room um, and then sleeping through everything after that. But anyway, I digress. So Jessica has this hot date with some guy and we're all excited to see the guy and he's coming over in his on his motorcycle. And that was when I first met Tom, was pulling up in the motorcycle at Slater's Court and Jessica climbing on the back and then going off into the sunset. Um, And I was blessed to get to marry these two humans and be part of their wedding. And um, God, just there's so there's so many overlaps and so many weavings. And over the years, we've been in really big support, like just in our community of hanging out and loving on each other, but also like so many times of going to your house. And you all are like one of my stable people. So my friend once, you know, said, you're the hummingbird and I'm an oak tree. And I realized in my life I have oak trees and you guys are like big oak trees and your house is like grounded. They've lived in the same house for so long. It's so cool. So the amount of conversations we've had of supporting each other in places that we've gotten stuck or celebrating what we're doing. So that's what I want to do on the podcast today is just share what it's like to be really deeply supportive friends over time that don't see each other an awful lot, but that when we do see each other, we just are able to drop in so deeply. So to have that, that yumminess of dropping in with each other here as well. So Jessica is a community organizer. She does incredible work all over the world and she is a total rock star that sometimes forget she's a rock star, but she is. And you'll hear this as she starts to explain. I'm like, oh yeah, I do this and I do this because it's so cool. And Tom is a magician in so many ways. And his front is as a therapist. It's a good front. He's really good at it. And the back is that he's a shamanic clown, which he's also really good at. And they all intersect. So we've all been activists and 
like deep support for humans being their best selves. How's that? <laughs> so I'd love for each of you to introduce yourselves and, and anything that you want to share just around this idea of growing all together. It's interesting because I think it's so funny, these origin stories, right? Um, how we met, we met in Slater's court. And, and it's one of, one of the favorite stories that we tell everybody. Um, but in this way, I think it's actually, um, it was also a community story because our community was involved in our getting together. And um, the, the quick story is that I was a, um, I was doing needle exchange in West Sacramento uh, during the height of the HIV pandemic. And um, my friend Eric had invited me to go to a movie night at some lady named Jessica's house. And, um, and so we, we showed up, we arrived unannounced at this little cottage um, in this weird funky place called Slater's Court. Um, and I walked in to, we were invited in and Jessica's place was just, um, to me, spoke to the artist. And I, I've had a number of really important artists in my life, my biological father and my best friend in high school. And so to walk in and see this artist in her, in her hobble <laughs> was, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I'm instantly interested. And, but I, th I think in this way that, that, um, that was sort of the beginning that, that place house was really important. Community was really important. I think when we got together, both of us sort of had this idea, oh, we're going to travel the world and we're going to be in different spheres. And we may not even be together that long because Jessica was in the national scene and I was wanting to travel and see the world. And yet the home and place kept pulling us back together. And all along, there were these important community members. I actually, in, in the, those early years, you, you and I, Heather, lived together in the, in the Palm Reader's house. And um, later on, we lived together at Chateau Relaxo, um, the house that we live in now. And so you know, all along, place has been a real important part of certainly Jessica and my relationship, but also our relationship to our community as well. So Slater's Court was that initial meeting and uh, nesting place. And then um, as our relationship began and, and grew, um, we, we committed to sanctuary, to this place of um, home and commitment to community that was bigger and deeper. I don't know, there, there, this could go a million different directions. I, I kind of think that, that part of it was that Jessica came into the relationship with a, a already committed to community. She had married a whole bunch of hippies. And so I was on, uh, the next wave of that invitation. I was, I was a newcomer to this group that was already well-established and already married to each other. Uh, and you guys can tell the story because you know that better than I do. But. So on the one hand, it was a little intimidating to come into this community. It was also a welcoming and sort of instant family that was family of choice in that way. Mm, so beautiful. And I just had the full on flash of Jessica's house and how cool it was. I mean, your house now is so cool. And Jessica, that was such a cool place. Yeah. Anybody who's in relationship with Jessica and I at that time and still, like you're in relationship with about a hundred people. Welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is so fun. Um, so what I was thinking about is that, that Heather, I think that you and I met in the basement of Freeborn Hall, which was on the UC Davis campus. And in that basement, there was the California Aggie student newspaper that you were involved in. There was also KDBS, the community-run radio station that I was involved in and your then partner, I think, was also involved in. And there was also the People's Monitor that became the Third World Forum, which is another alternative paper. And I think we met in KDBS. And I think that I'm a very fundamentally curious person. I'm very, I'm very curious about people. Like I'm very inspired and engaged and 
interested in people. And because of that, I have the benefit of like getting to know a lot of people and becoming close friends with a lot of people. I think that the moment in time that we grew up, which was before cell phones and before the internet, there was a way in which you didn't move as fast. You kind of moved in similar groups and had a little more ability to deepen with those groups. So that's a, that's one reason I think that we all became a big, loving, deep community. There wasn't, you know, we were in Davis, which was then pretty rural. There wasn't a lot of outside things going on. There wasn't a lot of bars downtown. We basically created parties at our houses and we were our own fans. We were our own designers. We were our own everything. Um, And one of the other ideas that I was thinking about when you both were talking is that came to me is this idea of sanctuary. I feel like all three of us have been really, well, we're married to each other for sure. (laughs) Both in a formal sense, like Tom and I, and then a community sense with you, Heather Ash. I think Heather Ash, you and I for like 35 years, you know, and Tom and I for like 26. And I feel like one of the things that, one of the best and most amazing parts of being married with your, you know, beloveds and communities of choice for that long is you have these opportunities to give and provide sanctuary for each other. I mean, I I can think of many times I have been so deep in a struggle and I've called you, Heather, Ash, to work things through. You know, whether that, that was when we were in school or traveling the world or as you started, you know, doing trainings and publications, you know, Tom, similarly, I do have more because we live together. But I also remember times when, you know, we provided sanctuary for you. And, and it's funny to hear the early part of the conversation when you identified me as the big kid, because I would, I would say like, wait, wait, I think you are the big kid here. You know, like, how can I be like that cool shit, that rock star? So, but I think it's just, I think that's what makes our relationship so powerful and strong and enduring is because we go back and forth, right? You know, when, when I'm feeling depleted or, or weak, you are my rock. And when you get to spaces where you need to have a physical or emotional shelter, you know that we are here and we cycle. And I think that's, I think that's one of the most beautiful and powerful parts of what we have in this trio here. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And to have that place of safety that we have with each other and with the larger community. So there was a group of us that ran a festival called the Whole Earth Festival. And there was, it was, there was all these intersections. So KDBS, the radio station, which I do now remember meeting you there, um, doing a radio show. And the, the newspaper, California Aggie, Whole Earth Festival, Um, experimental college we were all next to each other and we all cross-pollinated with each other which is so was amazing and that this group then grew out of that which we called the normal family and we were anything but normal right we were like radical most of us deep activists and artists and way outside of the box yeah we prided ourselves in that of being way outside of the box. And so um, that we were also affiliated with the Blue Mango, which was the first restaurant in this region that was doing a very local 
you know, they're all the things that are looked at now in terms of organic, buy local, you know, looks um, less your carbon footprint. Yeah, we're we're all in that mix together. Yeah, blue mango, exactly. Yeah, and that was a okay. We can have a whole conversation just about that restaurant and what it did and what it spawned, like what it birthed. Right. But there's all these birthing places of people coming together that had similar values and and then really raising each other is what it feels like, is that we grew together and we learned together. And there was enough spaciousness in the community for people to be exactly who they were. And that's something that I've always loved about the normal family is that we we loved the eccentricities of each of us. And supported where everybody was. Um, and we got together every year for a while. And I know you all are still gathering, but for a while, every year we would have huge gatherings and family, one- normal family reunions. Uh-huh. Yeah, family reunions. Oh, it was so good. And there was, <laughs> there was celebration, there was love. And you know, I think that that for people that did haven't had experience of having community that holds you as you are Mm -hmm. and witnesses you growing up Mm -hmm. like it's so valuable maybe create more of it in the world and I think all of us in a way are doing that now yeah I do think that all of us at some point early in our lives have some very significant challenge that we're up against and for many people, that's very traumatizing. For other people, it's a form of setback. We all, we, you know, I think everyone has something in their background with that. I think that one of the things in our normal family that allowed us all to, um, as Tom would use the word, like repair and also rejuvenate was what you were talking about, Heather Ash. Like, we um, we saw each other and we valued each other and we witnessed each other's growth. And I'm trying to figure out a way to say it because I think part of it is when you're young, you're, you're still trying to figure out a lot of things. And so maybe we just didn't have a lot of um, expectations or, you know, ideas for how people should be. I don't know. But there's a way in which that, I think what, it, what I'm astounded by is when I look at our friend group, how many are really high functioning people. And by that, I mean, they're generous, they're loving, they're good parents, they're active in the community, they're, you know, very low rate, rate of divorce, very grounded. And it's not like they all came from great situations. I think that they came into a great situation and that we created that container where we could like let our freak flags fly and then like figure out like who we were in relationship to each other and ourselves. And then, I mean, all of these years we could go back to the same group because we know we have their kind of unconditional support in a lot of ways. Like we have this love. And I, I really do wish that for other people. I have not seen a lot of other people have this, certainly not the huge community that we have. And um, I imagine that's what villages used to be like. Yeah, I think that's so true. And that we're, that repair, the reminder that we can do that with each other as adults. And it's true that we were young. I mean, we were in our 20s when we, we're in these relationships. And I've also seen, and I know both of you have as well, is that even adults, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I've seen have these incredible reparative experiences in community that you can't get on your own necessarily. Like sometimes healing has to be in relationship to other human. Uh, and, and I would say it always has to be in relationship to other people, <laughs> humans. <laughs> Um, it's interesting, and I think it's sort of reflecting on sort of what, how, where this is for me. It's like 
um, I think about the, the holding containers, right? So here was this lovely group that I was married into, right? That existed before I did, but had this relationship with each other and was already holding each other. And, you know, I reflect on it because um, I feel like it's only recently that I have been able to allow myself to be accepted in this way that I carried a lot of shame around belonging. I carried a lot of uh, shame just around myself that didn't allow me to belong. And it, it's only been recently through my my own somatic work where now I see, you know, these were the lessons that Heather Ash was teaching me. And these are the lessons that the normal family was teaching me. And here are the places all along that I've belonged. I just didn't know it. I couldn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't feel it until whatever block was cleaned, whatever, you know, and, and it's, you know, these are the issues of my family trauma and, um, the historic trauma that uh, got passed down to me. This this family that has been consistent, has been safe and trusting, has been, um, and, and I mean the normal family as a community, has been this consistent, uh, unconditional, lovingly loving family that suddenly I can say, oh, wait a minute, all these years I've been here and I belonged the whole time and I didn't know it. And now I know it. And it feels really great. And that allows me simultaneously to deepen. You know, I can be more vulnerable with Jessica. I can be more vulnerable with other people in that community. Um, that's been really amazing. Uh, I can feel myself how I'm held and supported. You know, it allowed me to call my call my community together and um, have this shamanic clown initiation ritual that was spontaneous, not spontaneous. It took four months to prepare, but uh, you know, it, it felt spontaneous in the way that, that it was this flash mob in the downtown, 30 clowns in the Dollar Tree market. And, um, and, and it was all for me. How do I receive that? Well, I can only do that when I have this unconditional loving family that has supported me all these years. So that's sort of my reflection on this. This is the value of in the healing that comes from these consistent places. And oftentimes we don't even see them because we're so wrapped up in how much we don't deserve these things or oh, we'll never be able to access, access that. When the people are around us, we just may not notice them. We, we may not recognize who they really are. Reminds me so much about another good friend of ours, Amy Crawford was saying the other day, and I couldn't agree more that you look back on these pictures of us and we are so cute. I mean, we're so beautiful. I guarantee you, we all would not have said we were beautiful at that time, right? We were so healthy and beautiful. And, you know, just like you said, Tom, it's like we were that all along, but we could not recognize that in ourselves. That, that's something that always is a sad thing for me that so many of us can't embrace our gifts the way, the way others see them. Um, always a challenge. Yeah, and that receptivity that, Tom, you were sharing that you can be surrounded by people that love you, that see you, that celebrate you and still not take it in. In a way, it's like the drip method. Finally, over time, there was enough of the love dripping in that you're being got it. And a couple, you know, big ass rituals to boot. Yeah, and some some critical therapy that, that sort of highlighted and allowed, you know, in this way of connecting to, to me that, that uh, the piece that's so critical too is the this connection you know, we can have all the spirit we want up here, but if we're not connected to the spirit in our heart, then kind of goes nowhere. And that was what, you know, some, when I reflect on some of these major places, our wedding was one. And there's a picture of the three of us on that platform with the waterfall in the back. And 
I, I just remember the amazing sensation of, it, I mean, it was incredibly powerful. The, it was the holding container. It was the vulnerability with Jessica. And it was me connecting to myself in that moment, being able to feel it. It's still, I look at that picture and I cry because it just is so powerful to me. That's the one, Tom, where we're with Heather Ash um, practicing, right? Yeah, there is that one. And I, there was that moment of, I, you said something and I said something. And then I was just like, oh my God, there it is. You can see this picture. This picture um, is the moment. It's like captured where Tom and I realize that we're going to get married. And with like a lot of people around us and you, and so you're in between us. I love this. Tom's going like this. I'm going like this. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. And it captures so much. I mean, people, their wedding was epic. <laughs> in the woods, family, friends, camping for th three days. Some people camp longer, long hikes beforehand. And yeah, I'll share the photo for sure. Cause there's, it was such a moment of, of realization and connection and heart opening that then opened everybody. I mean, like that opened everything, everybody's hearts. Yeah. And probably the context we should share with anybody listening is that um, Tom and I had been together for 11 years and we had really seriously deliberated individually with our own therapist, with each other about whether we should stay together. It's not like 11 years is quite a long time, you know, and we were 28. So we got married at 40. So, you know, this is a time where, which would be late for most people to get married. It's a time when, you know, most people are figuring themselves out and, you know, not staying in relationships. So it's, I think to me, the epic part of what made it epic for us to get married is that, and that maybe other people could relate to, is that we had both of us for different reasons, challenges making a commitment, not being clear in our own selves about certain aspects that we needed to heal, but, but taking a leap, you know? When Tom proposed to me, which he did every day for seven days on a road trip, in North Carolina. Uh, and on the eighth day, I did seven installations that said yes in our home. Once that happened and we got engaged, that, that was the shift. But for our whole community, the wedding was like, finally. <laughs> and our parents certainly like, oh. And it was, it was another one of those moments that cemented the community. And I think that was what was so, so powerful around your wedding is that you were already part of, of the community, obviously, like you were an integral part of the community. And you didn't just say, we're going to have this wedding for us, for the two of you, like we're having the wedding for the community. And yeah. Everybody got brought together. Yeah, it was very intentional. And we did an incredible amount of gifting in terms of you know, every single aspect of people's experiences, like you said, it was three days, each day was different, different music, different rituals. Um, I'll also say that it was like a barn raising because of course we're two people and there were over 200 and with the kids, I think 250 people at our wedding I and mean, there's a lot to figure out and do. And so people took you know, our community that had worked on the whole earth festival, as you said, that had worked in any number of these organizations, like we know how to mobilize and like, we know how to organize and orchestrate parties, if anything. <laughs> so I would say, Tom, wouldn't you say that almost everybody had a role? Like, like there, there were a lot of people with a lot of roles. Yes. 
it was it was this collective celebration and dreams for our future that we were all witnessing together and creating together. But I think that's also a lot of it. And again, this comes back to community is I think there's always um, sort of the pleasure in creating the experience for other people, right? And I know that that's a lot of what Jessica does now, but in this way, you know, the, we're getting married, but we're getting married for the community. It's like the, the, the celebration is for them. And, you know, and they were, our friends were certainly willing to, to pitch in and, and make it just uh, an expression of love for everybody. This is really getting me to think once again about the power of community, um, which is in COVID times, especially interesting. Like all of these things we're talking about were times when we were in proximity to each other. And while I totally love that we can just Zoom with you right now in Kansas, um, Heather Ash, it's like, it makes me wonder, it kind of affirms my thinking about how to keep moving forward transformation, which is by creating community resilience and to do that, you first have to help strengthen a community or build a community. Right. And I'd love you to share, Jessica, your work, and then I'll have the same, Tom do the same thing, but, but specifically your work around developing community, because you've, you've done that professionally in, in different ways, all around media, but in a lot of different ways. And so if you could reflect on that, and I'm gonna be right back. So just talk. Okay. I'm listening. <laughs> I think the through theme of my work is bringing people together and creating spaces for people to feel seen and be heard and using storytelling as the, the method or, or platform. And I've done that uh, in different parts of California where we live also different parts of the U.S. And, and overseas. And I think that what I have found is that when people are able to connect with what it is that's important to them and what they value or hope for, or even what keeps them up at night, they can build this connection so quickly with other people. It's like this idea, like the shortest distance between two people is a story. It just brings people together. You start to form this relationship, oftentimes with someone you don't know or wouldn't have imagined you'd liked or had uh, something in common with. And you can start to see each other on an incredibly human level, intimate, personal, um, you see what you have in common, you see what you have that's different, but you can value those differences. And then you can figure out what stories you want to tell out of that experience to get to some other larger goal. And sometimes I do that with photography in the end or radio in the end or video. Um, as Tom said, more recently, I'm trying to just have these experiences right now I'm working in public radio and I'm doing, I'm bringing reporters and residents together to kind of co-create stories that will then contribute to some kind of community change. So it's such powerful work. And it's, it's funny that. you're sharing. I was thinking like so much of my work is helping people get out of their stories and the importance of stories like both are true. Like we do, like healing comes from sharing our story and then being able to step outside of the story and realize it's not like, this is who I am. It defines me, but realizing this is what, this is humanity. This is being part of human, being a human is a story. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's such like all the work that you do, Jessica, around, creating experiences for people to be able to see themselves and others in a new way. Yeah. 
I think that's what we all do, really, is to see ourselves in a new way. I think that is what we all do. Yeah. Tom, I'd love for you to share your magic. I mean, it, it was so funny. I mean, this this is sort of that old place for me. I, you know, I'm a social worker. Who wants to hear about social workers? But, um, yeah, I I would say I've been a healer most of my life, and that that shift that you know, it's a it's a reframe. It's a small reframe, but it for me is really valuable is to recognize that um, my heart is in healing and helping other people heal. It, my heart is in learning how to help people heal and, and then doing that. And so it's been sort of a joyful self-exploration and um, kind of paralleling, how do I want to say that? It's a parallel process for me that I can only take people in their healing as far as I'm willing to go. And so it's required me to do a lot of um, self-exploration. And, you know, I, I, I kind of say originally when I got into social work, it was sort of selfish um, that it was a place where I could intimately, deeply connect with people on an emotional level that I didn't have a lot of, but is definitely who I am. I'm an introvert by nature. It's really hard for me to meet people like Jessica goes out and she knows people all over the world and we can be in the middle of Cuba and she knows somebody and that's not me. Um, so here was this way that I could connect with people and be really instrumental in helping them feel better. And that felt really good. So there was this real um, kind of lusciousness to, to being a social worker that I got to feel good too. And as it's grown, uh, you know, through the course of my career and all, um, you know, pivotal things like getting fired from uh, a couple of jobs that were <laughs> sort of pointing to me, pointing me in a direction that I wasn't a good manager, but I was a good healer. And that then kind of catapulted me into this in the, the realm of traumatology and, and by extension, anxiety and depression as sort of an indicator of where we hold our wounds. At this point, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. I took the coursework through Peter Levine's organization and it really has opened up the doors for me, not only in the healing work that I do, but again, personally, that, that it allowed me to heal those places that I just couldn't touch through talk therapy. And so now I've just, I, I've, it's allowed me to deepen my relationship with my partner. It's allowed me to deepen my relationship with my community. I feel more at ease in the world. I can go places now I could never go before. I can talk to people that I never was able to talk to before. I mean, there's, there's so many of these things that come out of that connection to self um, from a body place, not just a mind place. So what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm enjoying things right now. Like I'm, I'm taking a hypnosis class, um, Ericksonian hips, hypnosis, which is really, it's the languaging. It's this invitational language that's just super fun and very consensual. It's very respectful in the way that you can you can invite somebody into a place of healing that's been super fun and, and it just accentuates the work that i do anyhow i would say a lot of my spiritual work is also that starting with you know the early work that you and i did um and the 13 moon class that i, that I went through and and then you know having followed you and continued to learn from you through all these years, I just think the spiritual work is so healing really came out of that. Um, the questions that I had after my mom died and didn't, I don't know how much to really talk about, but uh, the short of it is that um, my biological father left. Um, my mom remarried. My stepfather adopted me. So I was an adopted child um, carried a little bit of the stigma of that and that question of who am I? And then my mom died. So effectively, I was an orphan because I didn't know my biological father. 
and that set me on that on that quest to find out who I was. And so that led me to spirituality and there's that connection. And so the healing comes in lots of different places. I think that's the kind of the, as you can see from the mess behind me and the mess behind Jessica, we're, we're curious people. We, we are always interested in knowing more and that is a healing resource. Finding all of the different places, you can heal in so many different ways and not just, you know, through the church, you can heal through reading, you can heal through interactions with friends, you can heal through mindfulness, you can heal through yoga, you can, there's a million ways to contribute to your healing, explore them all, and take delight in them all, and that's sort of my, I guess, where I finish up in my discourse on who I am and what I do. <laughs> there you have it. Yes. See what I love this guy. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And it's and always fun to put on a clown nose because clowns are healing. For sure. It's hard to believe that when they are, look so scary, but they they really are sacred beings. I'm thinking about, so, okay, I'll share a little bit of the story. So were you graduating from clown school? What? Why did we do the huge ass ritual in the Dollar Tree store? This was a calling that, you know, so I've been on a, um, so I've been studying shamanism since I met you, you, you inspired that. And somewhere along the way, I was having a conversation with a friend of ours, James Pelican. And he said, oh, I just finished up my clown class at Del Arte in Northern California. And I said, wow, tell me more about that. And he, did, he launched into this whole thing about how they really pushed you to explore the dark side of yourself and all of the shameful bits and all of the things that you really hate to talk about because that's where the clown material was. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like a really good social worky thing to do. And so <laughs> I launched into studying clowning and it was ah, it was miserable. It was so hard and challenging because they would make you look at those uh, ugly bits, the, the pieces that you try so hard to hide from yourself. And towards the end, I had been doing some performing and I had been through a couple of these character development classes with my, my clown teachers and came out of it. And I was just like, you know what? My, I'm being called to be a shamanic clown to kind of merge these two powerful archetypes into the, I mean, it was like a, a little triangle. There was the healer, the shaman and the clown. And we were, and we were just all fighting for space inside me. And I said, well, come on guys, why don't we all just be, why don't we all do this together? Um, and so that was the calling. And then I had this, I was sitting with a friend of mine, Greg uh, Gus at the coffee shop. And I was telling him this idea about becoming the shamanic clown and that I needed an initiation ritual. And he said, you need to ask your community to do that for you. You need to go to them and ask for this gift. And so that's what I did. And it was terrifying. It was scary to ask for something that felt so personal, but um, they were all over it. And, you know, I've, I've still got little well, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, he's there on the, let's see if I can kind of give you the, uh, the lighting's terrible. But here, the, the shamanic clown is right behind us by the guitar. So yeah. we're there, we're there. It's probably terrifying, especially for Tom, because basically his good friend and I uh, planned it and he, would, he had no idea, you know, it's initiation. So, you know, he had to go be away with from everybody for 24 hours. And he fasted, right? Fasted. Yeah, it was in isolation. Um, had, it was not lovely, though. I had some introspective tools in the little um, trailer that I was staying in. But then, like all good rituals, I was I came and I was kidnapped and I was taken off to the sweat lodge. And then I was killed and I well killed I don't know I had there was a death ritual involved and then there was a resurrection and then there was this the clown I mean that was uh wow it was just amazing um I can't even describe it all but kind of the the revelation was 
being dressed as a clown and going into the supermarket to buy a bottle of champagne and showing up at the checkout counter with my clown nose and my clown hat and my clown outfit on and everybody like everybody's response was different some people would ignore me some people would really like go out of their way to ignore me and other people would be like oh that's the best thing we've ever seen and so there was this weird like uh reality shift and then i got up to the the, the checkout counter with the bottle of champagne and i would like to buy this bottle of champagne and the lady says can't because the manager was also standing there she said can i see your id please <laughs> and I had forgotten my, well, no, 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 it was worse than that. I had lost my ID. I had left my ID at the airport and I didn't have an ID to buy a bottle of champagne. And so I had to fail in this epic clown way. And it was just perfect. It was like the perfect clown moment. And I was just like, you know what? I lost my ID. I can't buy this bottle of champagne. And I just have to walk out of the store looking like a clown. It was, it was <laughs> perfect. It was perfect. Flash mob in the middle of uh, the dog. And that too with the kazoos. Yeah. Right. You made, you made all those kazoos, you and Autumn. I remember. Um, parts of the stickers. Those were, yes, yeah. So to bring it into our conversation, there's community, there's love and holding. And, you know, it's, it, it's just really lovely to be received in that way. And to be vulnerable, it's something that I've, the, one of the threads that I hear and feel with all of us is that willingness, your willingness to ask. Yeah. Then your willingness to receive. Yes. Yeah. Knowing what, and here are people that know you really, really well. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Ask a group of people that don't really know you. <laughs> group of people that know you really well and are going to work you. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. And, and I think that's something that we've gifted each other with as well, of, of sanctuary and holding sacred space for each other. And, and also part of that is then the vulnerability, the, the being raw with each other, of sharing the hard, the places that we're really struggling mm -hmm. or the places that we're scared to, to let the light in. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so important and, and so hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, to, to have, well, the trust is beautiful. Um, Safety is a big one, I think, that, that, you know, we can only do these things because we feel safe. And that's a lot of the teaching that I offer right now is just how to help people feel more safe in some cases it's even all we can get to is less unsafe right and so it's just a question of degree but i you know i i really appreciate that that i have felt safe in my relationship since the beginning really um you know we i for whatever reason felt like i could ask for things um ask for my needs to be met from you, Jessica, and that you would at least consider them, right? You'd hear it, you would judge it. Uh, well, you might judge it, but you, you would consider it and then we would negotiate. And so I think that there's a real, there's always been safety in that, which has been really, for me, critical. I don't know that we would have lasted if either one of us hadn't felt safe with each other. Love what you share, Tom, of that place of having that sense of safety and also not having the expectation mm. that Jessica would be able to like meet every single need that you had, but that mm -hmm. you would then talk about it. And I think like right there, people, is the key to relationships. <laughs> to be vulnerable, to ask for what you need and to know you may not get it in the way that you'd like to or that you think you're supposed to, but it may be even better. Mm. Yeah, I um, I think that I, similar to um, you know, I, it's a learned skill to ask for your needs, for sure. It's not something most of us 
learn in our families growing up. It's not what they teach us in school, you know? So it's this learned skill of asking for what you need. And I think what's so powerful, what I've learned is really powerful because it's still hard for me to do that, is that the impact lands in having my needs be heard. Like that in and of itself takes like 75% of the tension out of the system. So whether or not my needs can be met as I want or at all, just being able to, uh, you know, as you talked about, get my story outside of me for consideration by Tom and myself hearing myself ask for it and then do some negotiating. And I don't mean negotiating in a like diplomatic tactical term. I just mean making our way through like, what did, what did I just say? Was that, did that ring true? What did you hear? How did you perceive what I tried to say? (laughs) Um, And then figuring out, okay, so what, how do we want to proceed? Yeah, it's, um, it's a muscle, you know, if you don't use it, it atrophies and you don't, you're not, you don't just get it. You have to build it. Yeah. You have to be willing to risk. Yeah. And as Tom said, I mean, you know, it took me 11 years to get to a place of feeling comfortable being proposed to. So, you know, (laughs) although I would say we've got our relationship pretty dialed in, it's not like it was that from the beginning. And so I, I just always, I know a lot of people have commented on our relationship because I think the love between us is obvious. And I mean, just, you you kind of, it's, it's around us, which I'm glad. I mean, it's awesome. It didn't just, it's not like love at first sight. It wasn't even um, like immediately we knew we were for each other and everything was like riding the Palomino, riding the Palomino into the sunset. You know, it was 11 years of, we didn't do this, but, um, and getting to like what I think you said, Tom, like learning how to feel safe, learning how to risk and you learn by doing, you have to do these little bits right you have to try different things and that's how you build your muscle and I just I think the reason I say that is that that would have been helpful for someone to say to me you know when I was in my 20s feeling like the ugly duckling who should eat worms I had no friends I had no talent no one could love me I'm not sexy yada 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 And, you know, over time, like all of that, yeah, all behind me, took a while, took a long while, a lot of practice and a lot of love. Yeah. And let's close with that. That feels like a really beautiful thing to to start to wrap up with is around how cool it is to mature, right? Like Jessica and I have talked about this of, of like, the, like how cool we were and like in our combat boots and like we were super activists and like we were righteous and we knew we were doing the right thing and we were so friggin' insecure mm-hmm. at the same time. And, you know, we had a lot of love with each other and we were also so self-conscious, totally. right? And, and this place of getting older and settling into ourselves more and more and and having friend, like, I'm so, so grateful for our friendship that we went through, we've gone through all, so many things together, so many different parts of the journey. And to feel both of you settle into yourselves in really, really deep ways and settle into your relationship with each other in really deep ways and, and build your house together. Mm. How many years was your house under construction? Ten. Ten, right? I was going to say a decade. It was a decade. To be fair, it's still under construction. <laughs> but not like it was. Not like it was. <laughs> no, we have walls. 
<laughs> exactly, there are windows. But that place of like settling into ourselves. So let's talk about that a little bit. I feel like um, I'm thinking a lot about this now as, as you know, we started to talk about this. I feel it's just a, it's a trade-off. There are trade-offs. I, I definitely miss the energy and the clarity and the spunk I had when I was younger. I don't insecurity. I don't miss the instability. I don't miss the psychic energy that leaked to go towards trying to like maintain facade because I didn't know who I was. So I was much more productive and efficient and uh, well-regarded, I think. Um, and I would actually say I was smarter, like I was sharper, brighter. Because what I was doing is I was putting attention into how I wanted to be seen and what I, what I value, but from others' perspective, right? For external validation. So I miss all the, I miss some of that good stuff. Don't miss the instability, insecurity, and that kind of stuff. Now, I feel like I have this, I mean, I have this grounded partnership with Tom. I have this amazing community. I feel stable, secure. I have a strong sense of who I am. It's not, I still have ambitions I'm trying to head towards. But I don't quite have the clarity and the energy. So I feel like... I don't know. I, I, I know some people say you can have it all. I could make that argument. I could also make the argument that you can have what you need in the moment of your development. And um, I feel like, I feel like if we could learn to focus on identifying what we have, again, like I always keep thinking like, what would I have told my 20 year old self, you know? It's like, if I could have embraced what I had, been able to see and be honest with what I needed to work on and be okay with all of that, I think it would have been really settling. And same right now. So anyway, that's something I think about. I think there are a little bit of trade-offs, but overall, I am a total advocate for maturing and getting older. It, it does get better. It's amazing. And your relationships can get better. Who knew? What do you think, Tom? Oh, so many things, I think. To, more directly to the question, I think, um, the settling into myself has been really just being, being more present, being better able to, to appreciate these. I guess that's what you're saying, is being able to appreciate the things that I do have now. Um, and that's uh, that, that. That doesn't quite cover it. It's it's really just it's being able to open and. Well, let me try a different tact. When I think about like being young, I I think about sort of the shame and insecurities, and the 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 double bind of having to do it all by myself, right? And and so this this arrival at this place where, ah, I don't need to do that anymore. It's just so glorious. Uh, it, the thought that comes to mind is, is sort of this transition, the rite of passage from, from youth to elderhood. And, you know, my friend Greg is going through the same thing. He, you know, he, he wants to be an elder and he doesn't, you know, he is an elder. He is the wise elder and he doesn't know how to embrace that. His insecurity still prevents him from doing that. I think there's a, there's a, that settling in and saying, I'm going to stop pushing it away. And I'm, I'm just going to, for me, it was um, this invitation. I'm going to stop saying it and I'm going to call myself that. And when I did that, suddenly I it opened the door to being able to be that, right? 
it started with shamanic clown. I am going to call myself a shamanic clown. And what does that mean? Who knows? But it, it opened the door to being that, right? And then it was, I, I'm going to call myself an elder. I'm going to act as if. And, and it opens the door to, oh, and, and, and when it, as an elder, I don't have to put so much stock in trying to impress everybody or trying to be so um, uh, attentive to my profession and, and wanting to get ahead and, and trying so hard to uh, climb the ladder and be, uh, you know, um, no, I can focus on the things that I am strong in and really embrace those and feel into them. And that was incredibly settling. It allowed me to drop out of corporations where I was trying to succeed in a, in a situation that was impossible to succeed in. It just seemed so set up for everybody to fail. I was able to go into private practice where suddenly I had time and space to take classes and improve myself and to really deepen my relationship with my clients so that I could see, ah, that's where I'm successful. That's where I'm making a difference. And I can settle into that. So all of these places that um, sort of coming of age and crossing that threshold, now I could just call myself that. I can call myself an artist. I don't make art, but I'm an artist. Oh, I do performance art. It's transient. Yeah. You know, if I walk through the supermarket with my clown nose on, that's a performance art piece. I'm an artist. Yeah. I'm great. Now I can, now it opens the door for me to be that. And it's really kind of fun, you know? So there it is, settling in to what is now. These are the lessons. It took me a while to get here. I'm still practicing, but it feels a whole lot easier. Mm, thank you. Yeah, and what I heard. You know, both of you say is this, the settling in of not having to be what you're not. And what you are. <laughs> <laughs> and also claiming, I mean, I love what you said, Tom, too, around just claiming something, especially around being an elder. Like, we do not have very many elder role models mm. and so or ceremonies or like support around eldering it's starting yep. to happen which is exciting mm. and that that recognition that we need to in a way birth ourselves into what we want to become mm -hmm. and that that comes from asking the, our communities to do it and it also comes from just claiming it and the work that you help all of us do through your writings and your workshops that can give a methodology that we can work through to find different levels of, I think of liberation. You know? Yeah, and there's so many facets to that of the, like cleaning up the mind working with the body, getting back into the body, really navigating the emotional body, navigating what we're doing with our energy. And that that's what we're, we're all bringing is learning how to embrace all of it, mm -hmm. all the different aspects of ourself, where we're at now, mm -hmm. where we've been, mm -hmm. and where we're wanting to continue to direct ourselves. And so much gratitude for both of you for who you are in my life and who you are in the world. Hello. Mm -hmm. oh. Thanks for sharing a tiny, tiny bit of yourselves. Thank you for the opportunity. It's such a gift these days to carve out a chunk of time across, you know, the ether. <laughs> yes. To be together and visit and listen and talk story, you know, um, this has really reminded me of so much of my history and that's a real gift. 
So thank you. Thank you. Oh, my love. Real honor. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.